And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. on four legs the live pearl jam podcast experience for everybody that's been listening for a long time you know the deal we cover a pearl jam show every single episode we do a new one new era and we try to tap into what's good about the set list and what might not work what sounds really good in the songs and uh, if you're new to the show that's really what we got for you uh for all you pearl jam fans out there which I hope you all are because it wouldn't make sense if you weren't if you are listening to this show. Uh, that is, we we combine our love for the band and our passion for music to give you this all-encompassing podcast featuring us just kind of going off on some tangents sometimes and uh, enjoying this band and, and sharing our love with you. Uh, unfortunately today, uh, I think we announced last week that, uh, this is not a Matt show. Uh, that's, that's three out of four weeks that we don't have Matt on the show. And, uh, we apologize for that. But again, this is such a busy time of the year for him. Um, really, I want everybody to, to message him or email him. He is one of the hardest working people in show business right now. He, you know, although he's not doing the show with us, he still is committed to editing it. And, you know, we're doing our part to get it to him in a timely fashion and, and getting it, you know, within a couple of hours, not, not the three hour mega show that we've seen to have every time, uh, we have a guest on, but, uh, we're going to keep this one a little shorter because it is an earlier show. So, uh, yeah, so Nomad this week. Hopefully we'll be back with him next week. We should be, uh, but who knows how that's going to all turn out. Um, and just to get this out of the way now, for anybody that uh, wants to send us an idea for a show or wants to just get in touch with us, we're at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. Our Instagram has been booming lately. I've taken over the Instagram. It's not that, you know, again, Matt's been so busy that, you know, I stepped in, and that's something I had to do. And uh, our Instagram has been booming lately. It's been it's been great, and I really appreciate the participation on the Instagram. Our Facebook is always good. We always have good participation there. Check it both out if you're on social media. I suggest those two outlets. Uh, Twitter, not as much. We're just kind of re rehashing stuff on Twitter. So Instagram. And Facebook, Live on Four Lines Podcast, you'll be able to find us there. Uh, for Patreon people, if you 
want to sign up for our Patreon and subscribe, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs, and we will continue to do exclusive episodes. We'll do some more stuff as time goes on. I know, again, this is going to be a very busy summer. If we get things in late, if we get things in, if we miss a week, it might happen. We apologize ahead of time, but that's why we have... And I'll kind of make this announcement at the end here. We'll have uh, kind of a cool thing that we're going to do this summer uh, that I know I've, I've at least teased before. Uh, but we'll do the full announcement at the end of the show. And that'll sort of tie into us uh, trying to figure out a way to make these shows a little bit shorter. And um, now without further ado, I introduce to the podcast... A uh, he is a past guest of the podcast. It has been months since he has been on, and we have had plans to have him on. And unfortunately, those plans uh, weren't in uh, couldn't come into fruition uh, a couple weeks ago, as we wanted to do the Temple of the Dog show. But that's when uh, um, Matt was not able to do an episode that week, so we kind of missed it. Uh, we have returning to the podcast. It is. The OG live on four legs fan Chris Buckley. <laughs> What's what? going on? Nothing, dude. <laughs> it is good to have you back. It is great to be back. Thank you, uh, as always, for, for allowing me to come back. Oh. It was a blast uh, when we did uh, Brooklyn 2013 night two a couple months ago, and uh, you know, we'll turn it back the clock this week. Let's do it. That is still one of my favorite inside jokes on this podcast. Uh, is the um, <laughs> is leaving here and I crack up. I crack up every time I think about it. It is just it's too funny, man. It's too a, funny. It, it goes it goes in the highlight reel of things that we've done on this show for sure. Absolutely. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I uh, I highly recommend that you go back and just listen to. The first half of leaving here, uh, <laughs> let's just say Eddie kind of, I don't know, vocal vomit, essentially word vomit, and uh, doesn't really get the line out uh, the way that it's actually sung, and it comes out, <laughs> like I said, like vomit, and it is, uh, it's very entertaining, it's very it, funny, so I, I would go back and listen. <laughs> the whole thing was an audible, they, you know, he saw a shirt in the crowd, and he was like, oh, right. leaving here, leaving here, wait, exactly. I play it again. Right, come right. on, and he, you know he he you know he has to restart like three times and kind of I think Stone's like showing him how to play you know how to play the the little riff there and uh, the chords and everything. So, uh, but yeah, that that's a good one. It's in our archive, episode seven. Yes, I remember these things. Just yes. even if you just want to scroll to the end where you just hear the Easter egg, uh, that that's good enough. You'll be able to know exactly what we're talking about. There. Absolutely. So today, sir, we are doing Zurich. 1992 Switzerland uh it's a quite a neutral show I suppose uh yeah right. I, definitely I um you know you guys I I, I noticed you know you're you you've I, it's not often that you're gonna go this far back um I think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that it is so early um in their career so there's obviously less songs for them not just for them to choose but for you know from your perspective from Matt's perspective from a podcast perspective it's uh it's it's a different situation because you're really uh you know looking at a, a phase of the band where there's not a lot of choice you know a lot of the set lists look very similar very you know they're almost the same and you know they're really playing just 10 and early versions of some songs off of verses and uh, you know, their typical Baba and Rock in the Free World covers and stuff. And, you know, it's just a very early phase of their career. And this show, 
um, you know, as we go through it, it is a is a prime example of a good set for that era with a couple little quirky weird things thrown in here and there and um you know we'll we'll get into that obviously but um you know it's not the first time in that year that they were actually in switzerland um and i know i know you want to touch on that with the acoustic show from the albany bar of music and yeah according to their website the pearl jam you know, Pearl Jam's website, it says that the location was Winterthur, Switzerland. I'm sure, so yeah, Winter, Winterthur. In the same vicinity, Winterthur, whatever it is, on Wednesday, February 19th of 1992. The show we're going to talk about today is from June 18th of 1992, so a few months later. Um, an interesting little tidbit here, Randy, as I'm looking um, on the website, there is no set list, set list well, listed for that, yeah. for that show. So that's something that we definitely have to talk about because – uh, Pearl Jam's website doesn't have a set list. Uh, Live Footsteps doesn't have a set list for this. Um, the Stat Tracker doesn't have a set list. However, there are some things that we do know about this. Um, Garden was definitely played. Garden was played. Jeremy was played. Porch was played. That's what we know for sure, and that's what we know from the PJ20 documentary. Um, right. What is on set list FM right now is a completely different story. Uh, there's even a note there that they... Um, uh, uh, they were doing a sound check with once, um, which I don't know where this information has come from. I don't know if it's been confirmed, and that's why Setlist FM is really low on my radar when oh, yeah. when looking at these things because fans just can just kind of put in whatever they want, and yeah, it's it's accurate if. It's a modern day show because you have so many sources and so many people that were there and the internet is available to everybody. But um, this is Switzerland, 1992, and we don't know, you know, there aren't a lot of people out there. This is a small show, I believe probably, what, like 500 to 1,000 fans, something really, really tiny. There's no statistic on uh, how many people were in attendance at this, but this was not the biggest of shows for sure. Um, and I, you, you just, it, it's kind of, there's definitely no Americans at this show at this point, I wouldn't think. And unless there is like a hardcore Swiss fan base, which I'm, I'm not even sure of, uh, probably whatever you see on last, uh, set list FM is probably not, accurate and that that's just in my eyes other people can believe what they want but you know how how are you able to get that source how are you able to back it up that's that's all i'm trying to say well i'm looking at um the wikipedia page right now for and we're talking about the you know the june show right correct we're still talking we're talking about i was talking about the acoustic show okay i was still talking about that well if you if you look in pj20 in the actual movie you know the documentary movie, you they show the video Right of Garden being played. It's and Garden it's... and Jeremy and Porch back to back, and there's maybe like ten right. seconds of each, and you kind you see how small the stage is. And I mean, just... you could Dave Eberzies could barely sit on the stage oh, with it's his so drum crammed, set. It's yeah. that small. Jeff is sitting um, Indian style, right next to Stone. They're snug up right against each other. Um, exactly. And just for a little background, because I know. You know, most people that have seen PJ20 know the story, but I feel like it bears repeating because it leads to uh, bigger things, not just with what's in this episode, but what's with uh, the career of Pearl Jam, what happened later that year. Um, they, 
they show up to the stage in Switzerland in Winterthur, and <laughs> I have to say it like that. That's not it's even. Great. It's not even Swiss. It's probably it's more Swedish, but I, I still have to say it like that. Um, and they show up, and the stage is like it's like the size of a downstairs bathroom or something like that. It's really it's tight. It's really small, and they can't fit all their gear on the stage. So they happen to have. Uh, some of their, uh, I guess somebody in, uh, from the record company was there and was able to call a bunch of people, see if they can get, uh, some acoustic equipment. And, uh, they brought in an acoustic bass and a couple of acoustic guitars and they were able to, uh, uh, to do an acoustic set that night. And you see the crowd, the crowd is small. It's, it's probably about 300 people max. You would think it's definitely not more than a few hundred and, um, it's the way I look at it is, you know, you're looking at a, a point in time for them where the energy is, and this is a common theme with the show that, you know, we'll talk, be talking about today, but just in general, in their career at that point, the energy level of these shows is off the charts. So Absolutely. for them to sit there and play an acoustic show for the first time like that, that, you know, it, it really isn't that common for them at all, you know, in the big picture that, you know, they're not besides unplugged and, you know, Ben Arroyo or, you know, these days, I guess if they come out for like the first encore, second encore, play a couple, you know, acoustic songs or whatever it is. And, um, you know, at this point in time, it's just so uncharacteristic for them, but it's, it shows you how dynamic they are, you know, that they were able to adapt to that situation and, you know, put on a good show and, you know, Eddie's basically just sitting there. I don't even think he has a mic in his hand. If you look at the video, doesn't he not even have a microphone? I thought Isn't he... he just singing or at some point, maybe he takes it away. Like, you know, if you look at some of these old YouTube videos, right. You know, when they were first touring for 10 and 91 and they stop at all these record stores, you know, like tower records here. Oh or, yeah. You know, like, you know, you see them playing acoustic sets before their show later in that day. So there's, I know there's one from like Rockville, Maryland. Um, I think there's a record store in Yonkers, you know, here in New York that they did something at. And, you know, it's just so interesting to me to see them do that. That's so different than what you get later that night at the full show. And I think it's just a, it really is just a testament to, like I said, how dynamic they are and, and just how talented they are, you know, to yeah. be able to, to, to go and, and be able to play acoustically because some bands, you know, you, you're you so adjusted and, and conditioned to listening to them, you know, full electronic, you know, electric guitars, everything, you know, the whole nine to then unplug and really try to change up the entire vibe of the songs that they're playing. It translates both ways for them. And I love that. You know, I think that's a, it, again, it's just good songwriting. It's talented musicians. And, you know, that's why they're such a good band. That's why we love them. It's versatility. Absolutely. And um, it absolutely speaks to how talented they are uh, and kind of the band that they're going to become. It, it's like you said, like Ben Arroyo and, um, you know, the Gorge, the first set of the Gorge back in 2005 where they did. Or even at Red Rocks too in 95 sure. they did the same thing. Yeah, and and it shows that they're they don't want to be typecast as this, you know, teenage uh grunge band, you know, the uh the angst and every they they wanted to find a way to separate themselves from the other Seattle bands who weren't really doing this. Uh really before Unplugged, Nirvana didn't really do stuff like this. They were, you know, everything was just angst and anger. Um <laughs> Uh, 
Alice in Chains really wasn't doing stuff like this. Soundgarden really wasn't doing much like this at that point. Um, but, you know, they wanted to separate themselves from the pack, and this was the kind of thing that did. And, you know, whether or not it was the the grunge thing to do or the thing that the grunge fan and I, I use the quotation marks there because you know to a lot of people grunge is a dirty word uh you know it it really it separated them from that pack and it made them seem like they were a full band that cared more about the music than cared about uh the scene cared about the industry and cared about the uh the identity that they were possessing they they cared first and foremost about what kind of music they wanted to put out there and what they wanted people to listen to and that sort of uh it's cool that that's kind of how it started in switzerland and then later in 1992 you have the unplugged show and that's obviously uh one of the most famous pearl jam performances of all time i i would i would have to say it's easily top five um yeah oh absolutely you know we did our tournament thing back in march and uh that version of black was the like by by far the winner of 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 the tournament so you know how much it that that song means Every, to everybody loves that version of course you have absolutely. eddie writing pro, pro choice on his arm everything is you know it's uh it all was just a fantastic performance um so and that, you know, again, it just leads into great things that this band can do later on. And uh, um, before we get into breaking down the set list and talking about the songs here, um, I just kind of, there there is an important thing about this set and the reason that why we, were, we are doing it. And the reason why is because this, um, this isn't the first time they did the Mamasan trio, uh, the trilogy altogether. Uh, this is actually, so they did a show in Milan the night before. And then this show was really the first time that Ed really ever explained anything. Right. Uh, and we'll get to all that in a second. I just kind of wanted to, you know, for, for people that, you know, aren't necessarily, uh, tapped in and, and, you know, it's something that I think the most basic of Pearl Jam fan would probably pretty much understand, but I feel like for anybody that doesn't, I just don't want to leave them out of the dark. Let's kind of talk yeah, about... it's worth clarifying it, yeah. Exactly. Let's just kind of talk about what the Mamasan meant. It's such a huge, pivotal story in the band's legacy, uh, that I, I think if we just kind of said, oh, they did the Mamasan, it really it really doesn't do it justice. So obviously, you know, Ed, uh, this is after mother love bone and stone and Jeff are still trying to put something together after the, the tragedy of Andy Wood, And, uh, they get a demo tape into the hands of Jack irons and Jack irons gives it to one Eddie better who went surfing one day and after listening to it and then got some ideas, uh, and came up with lyrics for Alive, Once, and Footsteps. And it sort of all ties in together. You have the story of Alive. Everybody pretty much knows that. His mom telling him who you thought your father was is not your actual father. And then you kind of feel the spiral, you know, the sarcastic, well, we're all still alive. Well, do I deserve to be? You know, that whole that whole part and then you gotta get into once and you get the idea that once is this character the same character and alive who is still reeling from the fact that he lived half his life a lie 
uh, that he didn't know the truth about about you know who he was or what his upbringing was, and uh, it kind of made him go insane. It turned him into a serial killer, and Footsteps is kind of the end of that. Him in a jail cell, and him again uh, saying he sort of blamed his mom for everything. So, like, what's what? How do you see everything in that perspective of just how important this is to the band and how? these all tie in together well i think the most important thing is and you touched on it when you first uh started talking about this is this was really the start of everything yeah um this this tape you know that eddie gets through jack irons and stone and jeff and it really is the foundation of the band so it, it you really can't stress enough i don't think how uh, crucial these this trio of songs is um i think you know the fact that it's partially biographical for eddie uh you know to a certain degree i mean it's definitely obviously not totally completely all about him but you know the the part of of the you know the son and the mother uh it's kind of serves as a starting off point you know from his own life to create this little mini opera uh so to speak of mama son um, which, uh, interestingly, is not S-O-N. It's M-A-M-A-S-A-N. I always spell it um, wrong, so... <laughs> it's Mama Son. It's like, it's a, it's not Mama Son. It's Mama Son. Mama Son, it's, yeah. I, I everyone, say Mama Everyone son. always says Mama Son. Right, right, right. But I spell it um, Mama Son. Exactly. So I think just as far as right from the start, you know, these are the first three songs that Eddie writes lyrics for, for the band right out of the gate to have the, the type of lyrics just, you know, to tell this kind of story um, is eye-opening. I think it's part of what makes him so great of a songwriter. I mean, he writes the best lyrics, I mean, you'll ever read. Um, this was p- part of what launched them into fame. I mean, the you know, Alive is obviously one of the anthems. I mean, all time, not just um, 90s or Pearl Jam anthems, just music anthems in general. Yeah. Um, it's It really is that big of a song. And uh, like I said, I think for him, to, for this to be his first contribution to the band and, and getting this from a tape, and, you know, you listen back to actually, like there's a, there is a way, I've heard it before, like you can listen to his very first recordings. Like it's the actual Mama Son demo. Yes, yeah. There, it, it is available. It is online. I've listened it's to it before. It's on yeah, and I don't remember even when or what, the last time I listened to it, but I have listened to it in the past, and it's just so raw. And I, I that's a word that I think comes to mind a lot um, when you think about the band when they first started in, you know, 90, 91, 92, even into the, you know, the mid-90s. But really these first few formative years um, – you listen to his singing. I mean, he's, he's a little, he sounds a little timid, you know, like he's still trying to kind of get a feel for, um, the melody and, and the lyrics. Some of the words are different. Um, in the early recording, well, if you uh, hear once, it's, it's demo. completely like the verses are him just rambling. It's yeah. Kind of yeah, incoherent. Yeah. So it, it really was, a, a like a, he's like sketching it out almost like he's practicing how he actually wants to, uh, make the recording sound by the time it's all done. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you look back and you see that there, you know, he, he, he opens up and, and explains to this crowd and he, he, I think he even says, you know, do you speak English? Like, do you understand if I talk in English? Like, cause he wants to actually explain what the, the trio of songs is, um, which, and I don't even think we really said it. I mean, obviously we, if you're a big fan, you know, but 
you know, alive is the incestuous relationship between the mother, um, you know, and the son who resembles the biological father. And obviously this, that part is true for, uh, for Eddie and that he grows up thinking that the man he thinks is his father is actually his stepfather. Um, and then once is about the man going on a killing spree, which clearly is not accurate to, to Eddie's <laughs> life, uh, as far as we know, thank God. And, um, footsteps is the culmination in the man is caught and sitting in a jail cell and awaiting, uh, you know, to, to be executed or, you know, to, to go to the chair, whatever it is. Um, so it, it really is a, it's an emotional roller coaster, obviously, and I think it's the kind of subject matter where it's it's a little extreme, but I think it fits the mold of 90s grunge music, you know, that dark kind of somewhat twisted uh, storytelling and lyricism and just overall vibe, you know, from the music. I mean, Once is, it, it's like, a, it's a dirty song. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like, uh, like, especially these early versions, man, like you listen to and it's just, he, just Eddie's energy, man. And in in these early shows is, is just unbelievable. And I think what really, really drives it home. If you look up the videos of these old shows on YouTube, just to get a, like a visualization of what is actually going on here. Uh, it's incredible, you know, to see them jumping around and going crazy. And I mean, you know, for, for guys that are now in their mid fifties, they're still pretty, I think they're pretty mobile on stage, but nothing, I mean, in comparison to, you know, 91, 92 era, uh, Pearl Jam, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you... just off the charts energy, um, and Eddie just leading the way, obviously, but re- to just to, you know, wrap up the whole mama son thing here. Um, yes, it's, I mean, it's awesome that he goes into explaining it and B that's a B it's just, um, t- to be able to, uh, look back and in the early going, just see that they actually were playing it, you know, three in a row, the way that it's intended, uh, to be listened to the way that Eddie wrote it, that's even cooler. You know, it's just such a cool, um, little historical factoid for the band. So it's definitely, uh, one of the standout moments, uh, clearly in the, in this bootleg for sure. And we'll get to all that. We'll obviously talk about the songs and we'll kind of, as we go along, uh, through those songs, continue to talk about the Mama Son as well. Uh, so, Let's kick this off. Zurich 92 here. Ed comes out on stage and he says, they're happy to be here. Do you remember the last time we were here? It was small. We took the plugs out of our instruments and played it quietly. One, two, three. And Matt loves this song. So I'm going to make him edit it in so we can (laughs) hear the open. And for anybody that's been listening to the show a while, I think you're, I think you know exactly what's about to come. One, two, three. to the
kicks off the show, Oceans uh, and Release, it kind of feels like, you know, depending on the show, it's either Oceans or Release that's opening up during this time, and whether or not they want to kick it off with a bang, uh, if they do end up doing that, it's usually even flow that opens the show, maybe sometimes once, um, but I think during this version of o- Oceans, uh, I don't know, I-, I was feeling some kind of strain in Ed's voice, uh... Yeah, yeah, a little bit. His voice cracks, I think, at one point um, toward, you know, one of the falsetto uh, the right uh, in the, I, I guess that's the chorus, I guess, technically. Um, it's something, so it's, yeah. The, the song is organized in a very interesting way. But, um, yeah, I, I think just in general about this whole show, and I we were talking about this a little bit before, I, I think it's it's a little clunky. Um, it's a little, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe it. I, it. Like, they're warming up, so to speak. You know, they need a little time to really kick it into high gear. Right. Um, and one, th- I don't know why, maybe it's just because I listen to this boot like a lot, or, um, it just stands out in my mind, but that Ocean's Even Flow combo to start, um, it's exactly the same as the Orpheum Theater Show. Yeah, you're absolutely you right. It, which, which, you know, is completely unrelated, but... I think um, just the dynamic of the two songs, you know, to go from Oceans and its calming, you know, soothing kind of, you know, happy sounding song, you know, to then complete 180, you know, in the two hole, even flow, just exploding. Um, Yeah. Well, once you, yeah, once you get from Oceans and it transitions into that, wow, and they go right into even flow. It's just kind of like you can feel that the crowd is about to erupt and explode. And, like, that's one of the best things about a 1992 through 1995 even flow is that, like, yeah, it's going to come early in the set and uh, it's not going to be this kind of mid-set, you know, Again, don't like to use the word piss break, but for some of you it is because I know you've seen it 50 times before. But Mike is about to kick your ass on it, so sit down and enjoy it. That's how I feel about it. Um, but, like, this is just – this feels even flow. You know, I'm, I'm, I got nothing else on Oceans. I think that was, that was pretty simply put. Uh, if you have anything I, else now. I, I would just make one point, uh, not so much about Oceans, but just this little combo that we're talking about here. Um, I, I think um, one thing that really stands out to me about not just this show, but all of these early shows, and I said this to you earlier, it's the tempo at which they play the uh, songs. I, that was going to be my first thing coming into Evenflow. Right, was so that, that, and it's a great jumping back. off point. You know, yeah. it's a great jumping off point with even flow to use as an example because, and it's like you just said, now it's become a pee break song. You know, people hear it a million times; they're tired of it. To me, I would go to the bathroom now, and I would try to get back in time to hear Mike solo. Sure. Um, now, if you go back and you listen to these early versions, um, there are no extended solos. You know, they keep it relatively tight. You know, versions of even flow now can go 9, 10, 11 minutes long, depending on how long they let Mike solo. These early versions, Dave A's drumming is just, as always, killer. I mean, you put whatever happened between him and the rest of the band aside, you know, Eddie and, and Jeff, whatever, not getting along with them. I, I take that out. I don't even, I try not to even think about that because he is such an incredible drummer. And listen, I love Matt Cameron. 
I do. I love him. Dave I, is I, Dave is such I a good enjoy, live drummer. That's I enjoy Jack Irons drumming, especially on No Code. I mean, he's awesome. Um, th- no one is Dave A. That's to me. That that's my opinion. Yeah, um, I, I've you know I've sort of I, I've been kind of team Matt for such a long time, and and it's really hard for me to kind of go one two three and and say who's where, and and even Cruson's very underrated. Um, sure, but you know the more that I hear Dave A live in these shows, the more impressed I am because he's just it's so standout. And you know while Jack is a little bit more groovy and he has every now and again he has a little punch to it, and Matt is just kind of like. You almost sometimes don't even know Matt is there because he's blending in so perfectly, and that's just his style. They're three completely different styles, and it's really, you know, if you love just the rock and roll, just, you know, coming out of the gates of Guns Blazing kind of style, that's Dave A is that. That's what you want out of Dave A. I know they call Matt the Lamborghini, the the, the Ferrari uh, all the time, and, and he is. Trust me, he is. But, man, Dave A, you hear him on songs, and we'll, we'll get to a song later that I feel like is a very st- much a strong point for him that I was disappointed on in, in this show. But uh, this is kind of the reason why we've talked about a lot on the show, why you don't get versions of WMA, because... Dave A is what made WMA so good uh, with that drum beat in the beginning and even stuff like little things like Go and Animal too that you can really tell that there's a difference between all of the drummers on on, on those songs Um, but man even flowing the second spot that's really for me it's 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 riling up the crowd and it's really it's really getting things going because this is again not as the not only is the song different and there's more of a groove and it feels more of like the album the radio hit um the crowd is is there to party they're there to to have and, and it's not like i don't want to want this to be a disservices disservice to crowds now but you you know what the pearl jam crowd is from back then they are they're mosh pitting they are crowd surfing they are stage diving they're doing everything insane and crazy and and even to a point where ed does say in this this show that people have to to start being careful um because they're they're going a little bit too nuts um so you know at the time even flow was their hit song i believe it was uh i i I'm going to say it was probably in heavy rotation at the time on the radio at this point. So to, to kick this off and really get this as the first one that knocks you into the set, that's got to, that's got to really uh, set the fire under the fans over here in Switzerland. Absolutely. Uh, It's, that's their song at this point. You know, everybody wants to hear that song. It's what's, you know, that's the, the main uh, hit at the time I think was, was even fly. Everybody wants to go crazy and, it's the perfect song, like, you know, as we said, that one-two punch, you start them off slow, and then you you really punch them right in the face uh, and get everybody going crazy um, with the second song. And, and just one more quick point about, about the drumming. Um, I think, we're, you know, talking about Dave A and, and Jack Irons and then Matt Cameron, obviously, it really, it's like the three different eras of the band. I, I really think, like, you can break their sound into those three sure, eras yeah. by the drummers. Um, and you know, I have to say, I mean, like I said, I, I just love Dave's drumming. I think it just, it's just like, he's a machine. Like Matt Cameron is a machine. Don't uh, he is, but he's a machine in the sense that 
Um, you know, he he has great endurance. He can just play forever and ever and ever. Um, I feel like with a lot of the older songs that Dave A or Jack Irons were the original drummers for, he, you know, you lose that groove that you talked about. You yeah. do, and, and and I'm not trying to knock Matt Cameron. Like I said, I mean, we're all fans of him. We all love him, and he's a great, an amazing drummer. But you know, it kind of gets lost. Um, you know, when you have uh, these older songs, when you hear him play it, if you go back and you listen to these older shows, these older boots, you just you just hear it, you know, fr- from Dave A. And, and, and there's that groove there. Um, I think the best way for me to put it is that Cameron is a very cymbal-heavy guy and Dave is a very tom-heavy guy. And when you have that distinct sound where the tom is more prominent, then there are little things that you pick up on that just sound really, really unique uh, coming yes. from his drumming style. And that's... Yes, and you, you lose it's, – it's those little things, those little details that make these early shows. That's why I love them so much because you can hear it in real time, the way that they're supposed to be played – um, and they're not just trying to rush through the songs to get and you know squeeze thirty five songs into a set. Right now, now listen, um, you know I, I'm not saying that uh, you know the, 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 all these versions of these songs now are bad by any means, um, but it's just great to you know to, to or you know I'm not trying to say that I don't appreciate them trying to play more songs now because I think in the big picture you know. It's still, you know, you're not going to complain when you leave a show and they play 35 songs, obviously. But I would take them playing a few less songs if they would slow them down. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. I'll take slower versions of Even Flow, slower versions of State, you know, whatever it is, just for them to be able to play, um, play them the way that they're supposed to be played. So that's why I, you know, these early versions of Even Flow, it's like you really get the full. Uh, scope of of the drumming you get the full you know experience of the way that it's supposed to sound and it's not a rush you know it's just it's so fast right now and i love that they slow it down you know they're playing it the way it's supposed to be played that's what i'm saying so this is this is an og type show and and they're really this is this is wheelhouse if if that's if that's what you love or if you're stuck on stuff that you know from recent times and recent shows that you've been to and you're not used to stuff from 1992 93 94 go back and just listen to how much different it is and you'll you'll just be astounded and and you know just it's again it's just uh it's evolution baby that's really (laughs) what it is it's the evolution of the band so uh although it is still good now it can be appreciated uh exactly the the good stuff from back then so uh continuing on in the set list here uh the next three are why go jeremy and state of love and trust and we'll start off with with why go um and i'll I'll, it's funny because there are things uh that do remain in these songs uh you know while even flow doesn't still have that groove uh some things never change and one of those things is just that hey 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 in the beginning and uh yeah that that's here in why go and this is it is is going all out as much as he can in this but it's not i don't know it, it seems like he's not 100 percent um uh, he doesn't seem to be bothered by it at all. It's it, it just doesn't feel like I've seen more fierce uh, screams and more fierce uh, attitude from him at shows out of this era. Um, and you know, I wasn't expecting. 
I, I was expecting a little more coming out of a 1992 show because you know that you see things like Pink Pop, you see things like Den Hog and Indio and, and things that are really, you know, setting the tone for the time. Uh, you know, he's not holding anything back, but I think, you know, obviously, your tour, 1992, they were touring every single month. Uh, there's got to be some labor to it, so... Absolutely. That's just, that's, labor was kind of how I felt on the song. It was a little labored. Yeah, he he um he definitely has some strain early on in this show. As we go along, I, I and just listening back to the bootleg, I actually think his voice actually gets better as the show goes on. I agree with that. It's like he he needed a little time to to warm up and and get into it. Um, who knows if they li- did a sound check? Who knows? Right, right. Um, and I mean, you're talking to someone who's fit, one, I would say my top three uh, in my so- blood is probably my top three uh, Pearl Jam song. You know, favorite Pearl Jam songs. So. If that doesn't tell you that I, you know, I love angry, screaming, screeching Eddie, um, you know, I don't know what does because that is obviously the prime example of uh, a song that it could be described in that way. So I am always, always looking for uh, when I listen to especially these old bootlegs, and it's obviously more common given that it's earlier in their career and his voice was, you know, he's younger, um, he's able to scream more. Um, so you get a lot of those screams in these early shows. Um, and you're right. It is a little, it's, it's lacking, uh, in the, in the first few songs out of the gate, it gets better as it goes. I mean, you look toward the end of the set, there's a couple songs where, uh, moments in the songs that we'll get to where if you know the songs, obviously, you know, he really belts it, you know, he yeah. really, really is letting it loose and, and, uh, screaming as loud as he can. Um, there are moments in these early songs, like you said, where that is a little off or he doesn't take that, uh, you know, that risk of, of trying to make a a higher scream than he normally would. So it's not, and again, it's not to say that it's bad. It's not, they're not bad performances. They're just, um, as you said, they're not, uh, maybe the best examples from this era of performances of these songs, but they're still good. Um, nonetheless, and just, it kind of leads me into, as we look at why go and Jeremy here, um, two obviously very very bass heavy songs. Yes. Um, so prominently involving Jeff Amon obviously on the bass and um, in this particular mix of this bootleg, you really and I said this to you before, you really really get the presence of Jeff in yeah. these songs. You, the the bass in the mix of this bootleg, and I don't know if this is intentional, if it's just the equipment that was used, if it was done after the fact, I don't really know. Whatever it is, you can hear the bass loud and clear the entire time, and it's awesome. I, it's really, really cool because as as you go later in their career, I feel like there is uh, there's a good number of bootleg recordings that you listen to them, and, and the bass is a little hard to hear. I feel it's, like the bass gets drowned yeah. out a lot of times. Yeah, and, I, I fully agree with that to the point where I've heard versions of Do, Do the Evolution, I'm like – that's really his baseline that he does. He doesn't do the, like he switches it up every other time. And I didn't notice that in some of the boots that I was listening to because it's so drowned out by both stone and Mike and that heavy, heavy guitar presence that you have in the right and left ear that you kind of, you're, you're saying to yourself, where 
is the base and and it's you know matt will tell you that that's a good thing because it's blending and and bass player although he wants to hear the bass player a little more the bass player is supposed to to blend in sort of like the drummer and and keep the rhythm but um you know it is nice to hear him a little bit because i do i do like some bass heavy stuff and yeah you see that with with jeremy in this one uh as we'll transition in this um you know I think that, and I no, I should say I know that Jeremy uh, was not, this was before it broke out. So we're still, Pearl Jam is popular at this time, and we're still like, we're, we're still gaining momentum, but um, we're not fully there yet, because uh, Jeremy became a single in September of 92. So I believe they're like right in the middle of the the meteor right here. Right. I don't know if they've quote unquote reached the pinnacle yet. You know the the highest point of popularity, which I guess would maybe be more well like later ninety two into ninety three. Right? I would like say like around like, yeah, video music award time when right. they debuted Animal is is a really important one. Exactly. Uh, but you know I think. I think Unplugged was another moment that really kind of elevated them to another level of, of success. But And then Pink Pop, of course, which was a couple weeks before this show. Right, yeah. Pink Pop is, is really, and we'll, you know, uh, as we're recording this yesterday, was the, uh, the anniversary of Pink Pop. And I shared a couple things through social media and got a lot of great response because how, how couldn't it? But... Uh, what I was going to say is you can tell it's not a popular song yet because the crowd at that beginning baseline intro, the crowd isn't like erupting. And at this time, uh, you know, you go a little later when Jeremy's a hit single on the music videos is in heavy rotation. They play the song and once that doom, 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 the crowd would explode right away and you don't get that here. No, um, right. And that, I think, again, just goes back to the song still gaining popularity. Sure. Um, this was a 1200 seat concert hall. Uh, it still exists actually. It apparently okay. opened in, in 1910. Rock house. Yes. Yes. Is that how you say it? Rock uh, house. In, uh, Vol- Vol- Volk's house. Is it Volk's house or Rock? Uh, Volk's house. It's V O L K S H A U S. Volk's house. Rock's house was know. the Vienna show that was after. Cause I saw them both next to each other. I'm like, fuck, I better remember. Right. which one this is. <laughs> So okay, right. yeah, so you're it, right. I mean, it, and it is a concert hall. So I don't know if that means you know. It, I'm assuming are... that means that there's like seats. You know, it's like for like like orchestras. It didn't sound like there were seats because you get into later and he says he tells people be careful, be careful. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I not sure. Maybe they for... can move them. I, I don't know. I, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. It says that it's a venue with an auditorium filled with seats. I don't know. For all of our Either friends way. up in the Swiss Alps, uh, please yeah. send us a note and uh, let us know what this what this venue is all about and uh, uh, right. and who who's been playing there recently. I'd love to know. Uh, yes. Another reason why you can tell that this version's really early. Nobody repeats the "fuck" line to back to it, uh, to Ed. Yep. Yep. Uh, Very true. And and really, like the best thing about pre-Vitalogy versions of this, and maybe a little bit after Vitalogy too, is that just like, it taps into his anger in that second vo- uh, second verse when he gets to, and the boy was nothing that mommy couldn't bear. Like, right, and right. he he screams that whole part, and that's really, that's, that's that sign of the times, and now he won't, he'll just, uh, he'll sing that part, 
and you know that daddy didn't give attention it's (laughs) it's awesome it's just it's so cool because it's so different and you can tell that a they're having fun and b they want to just they do mess around and do something different they don't want to play song after song every night and just sound stagnant so he just taps into to just another side of him that that everybody seems everybody loves this time there is um i mean there is nothing better than early angry eddie um really is from the the screams just the energy just the just that anger i mean it just uh it it doesn't get any better than that honestly it's as good as it gets for for any for any singer um and jeremy obviously i know a lot of there's i would say that there's a good amount of pearl Jam fans that don't like jeremy at this point um for whatever reason um I I went through a phase where I I kind of didn't like it, and now I, I, the more I listen to it, and even like current versions, I I, I enjoy it. I I do um, love the you know whoa, singing at the end. It's always yep. fun. There's a good scream um, to finish this off too. So exactly, that's so, sort of the first good one I would say. Definitely, definitely. and then state of love and trust. Uh, that beginning one. I mean, there are so many classic versions of this song where in the beginning you hear that yeah yep, you know yep. it's uh you know we've covered it so often lately and we've covered you know the the now version again it's not it doesn't have that like just kind of pace pacing itself style it's just kind of a two-minute song this was four minutes uh, that iTunes has this version at 347, I believe. And, and there are versions, I think they could get through it in maybe less than three minutes live sometimes. And it's just kind of, it's just, yeah, everybody's going to love it. Everybody loves it in its spot. But man, you hear it like this and it's sort of a breath of fresh air, you know? Uh, I I think one of the things with the with just these early shows in general, and I, I said it earlier, it's just like there's less songs you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they don't have as many songs to play. So this is not a situation where, and this is more, I guess, from, like, the podcast perspective. You know, there's really not to, a lot to critique as far as song placement. You know what I mean? Not really, Be- yeah. Because there's it's... not, they're, they're, the pickings are slim anyway. So right. it's pretty much going to be some combination of 10 and a couple of covers or, you know, State of Love and Trust and, um, you know, Breath or Wash. Um that are in footsteps that you're going to get, you know, so songs that were from this era that were not on 10. Sure. Um, yeah. But the alone only one, or sure. Alone. Um, I think the only song from 10, if, if my math and just what I'm, my knowledge is correct here is release is the only one that's not played at this show. Uh, as far as I can think off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking at it, I'm almost positive. So, um, you, you know, you're getting, you're going to get the entire album essentially is, is what happens. Um, this was about an hour and a half show, which at this point in their career is a lot of time. Yeah. It's a long show. I mean, it's yeah. 18, it's listed on the track listing as 18 songs. Um, granted, and then we're going to, as we go along, we'll get into these. There's a couple little jam slash improv things. Going right. On, yeah. It's not um, necessarily all Pearl Jam stuff. But, right. Yeah. That are short, but, um, you know, this is a considerably long show, I think, for this point in their history. I would say which is so. interesting. Yeah, I so would say they, so. Usually they're probably getting about an hour. They're probably getting maybe 13, if they're lucky, 14 songs in. Uh, maybe 14 if there's an encore. Uh, but, yeah, like this is – this 
to me is kind of the early start of, okay, we're here to perform. We're here to be on stage for as long as we can be. If we have to break a curfew, so be it sometimes, uh, you know, this is sort of a teaser of what would be to come in, in the next handful of years. So that's, I think that's why this was such a popular bootleg to a lot of people when it circulated. Uh, and it was a little late to circulate, which I, I found out, uh, from our, our, our friend and, uh, uh, patron, uh, Patrick Bogle, who I was talking to about this before that it really, people knew about this, but really it was circulating around 2000 was when the show started circulating and everybody kind of got their hands on it. And really, if you go out, uh, archive.com, uh, org and search for it, uh, you can download the boot for free and it's, and it's very good quality. It's awesome quality for 1992. I mean, you don't get much the, better. It doesn't than get any better. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. Just bringing up the, just the bootleg as a, as a bootleg. Um, if you go to the YouTube video, for this show there is just the there's no actual video but it's just the bootleg audio yep. on a you know in video form um if you look in the comment section there's a lot of people that say oh my god i remember you know driving to, and paying right. like 20 25 bucks oh yeah we get those get stories all the time yeah you know get my hands on this bootleg and mm-hmm. you know it's so crazy it feels like yesterday like i was just trying to go get it and you know here it is thanks for uploading whatever um is just i guess that's just a testament to the show itself and um what i've noticed and this is just something particular to me Maybe, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, like all of these like secondhand bootlegs. It's like a mishmash of like all of these different recordings, oh, of yeah. different shows that are like yeah. combined. We've into... talked about this before, yeah. Yeah, so it's like you know they're they're bootleg combination compilations almost. You know, they they people I guess like handpicking performances from different bootlegs and sure. combining them into one bigger, larger bootleg, and then that bootleg has its own particular weird name because it's not you know, a specific to one show. Right. Um, I have in my iTunes, um, I don't know what exactly it's called, but if you, I guess what I'm trying to say is this bootleg is popular enough that a number of the performances from this show are on on multiple of those bootleg compilations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying because there's actually – uh, one of those websites out there, the Sky I Scrape or one of those other ones, they came up with like the ultimate catalog of every song that they've ever performed and what the best version of it is. So it's kind of like they came up with their own CDs and they're the reason why we picked the show was because there were a ton of versions uh, of songs from the show that were on that album. Yes. So yes, uh, exactly. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if if a number of these performances are, are on a number of those kinds of bootlegs, you know that it was widely circulated and a popular boot at the absolutely. time, and still is. Absolutely. So. Uh, let's transition here into. Uh, we said that they were going to jam and do some improvs, and uh, this is the first one of about three or four that they do tonight. We're not going to play all of them, but we'll play some. I think. I think this I think one a good is. One to play. Yeah, I, I do too. I think this is one of the better ones. Um, it's kind of dubbed "Love You Hate You." Um, I I don't really know the history behind it. If if this is something that they've done a couple of times with these lyrics, but uh, why don't you listen and uh, and just just check it out and just kind of see how how they jammed at the time. 
just said I'd be alright But I still feel blue Kind of talking about this earlier. Uh, improvs back then, um, much and more common now. than now, of yeah. course, because yeah, they have to fill some time, and it's just sort of. It's probably not in the set list to do this. It's probably just kind of you know whether there's a guitar change or uh, something like that. Somebody noodles, and it kind of sounds like it's it's Mike that's that's noodling a little bit, uh, or is it Stone? I, I'm I'm not sure who's in what ear for this show. Uh, at points, but um, it does sound like it's a little noodling, and then Ed just kind of goes in. It's showing some of his aggression, but it's it's kind of it's honed back a little bit while being a little bit therapeutic. Uh, you know, um, I, I I don't know. I don't remember the lyrics verbatim of this, but it it's sort of got that love you hate you edge to it uh i don't know if you can explain that that further because i i just i listened to it a couple of times and i i couldn't grasp what the lyrics were but it was it was pretty typical of the early 90s ed it's it's stuff that you would hear back then yeah i think the biggest takeaway from not just this improv but improvs in general is what i said before it's just that they were actually doing them. I think that yeah. they're a lot less common now. I mean, way, way, way. I mean, they they and really don't even do are, this anymore. Yeah, if they are common now, it feels they feel rehearsed. It's not jams. It's sure. you know you can call it improv. I know that they did one at the Memphis show that I was at, and it felt a little more. It had that untitled vibe to it. Uh, where... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it maybe it, it comes out of given that they probably had less, you know, roadies back then, like people like help, like the crew, like sure. there's less people and, and Stone and Mike and Jeff are trying to like transition their guitars. And, you know, maybe Dave A just starts playing, you know, a little drum beat. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, you know, and then it's that just can... like they all kind of join in before the next song starts. Mm-hmm. I think it's really organic. Like it's, it's, it's just like spur of the moment. Dave will just start playing something and then Jeff jumps in and then Mike and Stone jump in and then Eddie feels like, oh, you know, let me just make up, you know, stream of consciousness, just kind of say whatever comes into my mind. And, and he's good at this it for too. Two yeah, he is. He is. And that's, again, just another example of just, you know, the kind of lyricist and, and songwriter that he is. And um, I, I think, yeah, the, the all of the improvs here are great. Um, I, I think they're really interesting. I think a lot of them are centered in, um, you know, like in, from like an activism uh, social activism, political standpoint, you know, a yep. lot of the time Ed's talking about, um, uh, you know, basically like, you know, change the world or, you know, it's like, it has to do with love and, um, you know, th- there's, there's a message there. I-, I think he's not just making words up for the sake of, you know, in the same sense as like, you know, yellow Ledbetter is just made up differently every sure. time. It's like, he's actually trying to say something. It, it, there is a message in, in, um, you know, there's meaning to his words for what he's saying. Absolutely. And, you know, the one of the big improvs, jams that everybody knows that actually, you know, kind of turned into a thing that turned into a song was Out of My Mind. That was yep. never something that, that was rehearsed. It was it just kind of came out of uh, came out of the blue one day and the band kind of jammed on it and, and it, you know, 
all of a sudden it's it's a b-side off of uh off of uh the not for you single and 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 it showed back up at Fenway this past year. So, you know, it's kind of, right. it's got a cool little legacy to it. So sometimes you can get sort of that, that sort of thing out of these improvs. Uh, so that's that, uh, that takes us into black here. And um, it's funny while most of the songs from this era alive, even flow, you know, the, you know, porch and the popular ones at the time were in about 120 plays. Black was only at 86 and I think I'll chalk it up to that, you know, if they're playing a lot of opening acts, if they're doing a lot of openers at the time, because that's half of what 1991 and maybe a little bit of 1992 was, some festivals here right. and there, uh, I maybe they leave Black off because it's just not... They they want to hit the crowd home with, with the harder stuff. And, and, you know, but also you listen to stuff like Drop in the Park, and he said on the Drop in the Park show... This is one that we don't do too often. That's right. And, or he so he goes. We stopped playing this song for a really long time because it's right. just really hard to sing it. Of course, you know, and, and then yeah. they go into it. Um, I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, at this point they're opening for a lot of bands, or you know, um, th- they are in this mode where they're constantly trying to play at you know in a very aggressive style. You know, it's it, yes. black is a much more I don't want to say depressing, but it's it's out of it stands out and it's it's very different than most of the songs of this early era. Um, very emotional. Uh, it, it, it's just the kind of song where if you go, if you play this song, you're you're really changing the especially and it, and it really stands out even more in these shorter sets because there's less songs and less time you're really changing the pace of the concert. These days, you know, today, they whip this out. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. You know, Mike solos for 10 minutes and, you know, everyone wants to sing the songs together. At this point, it's not the kind of song that it it, it didn't have that same kind of meaning then as it does now. Right, a hundred percent. It was just kind of. I think it was just a another song off ten at the time because everybody kind of they wanted the angsty stuff. They wanted even flowing alive and deep and the stuff that really you know they can mosh to, they can they can party to and and just enjoy. And Black was just sort of, I guess at this point because I think that you know compared to everything else, it was a little pedestrian compared to. Uh, it, it's tough to compare it to other blacks, but it didn't have that, like, he wasn't tapping into that emotion that he usually does with black. It just kind of felt like it was cooling off from a couple of really hard and fast songs and getting you ready for, uh, you know, a part of the set that's that's really going to hit home pretty hard. Yeah, I think the ending of Black a lot of the times is where you can put a lot of stock in saying, oh, you know, this that's a good version or that's that's just a pretty, you know, pedestrian, normal version. Um, I always look at the end. And if if Ed's going crazy and he does do the wee, 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 you know, he actually right. sounds like a pig, actually. <laughs> this one, I have to say, if you listen to the bootleg, he's like, wee, 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 wee. Um, you know, we belong together and Mike goes crazy and it was a little short. You know, they cut it a it little was, short. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't quite as drawn out as they, you know, like I said, like these days they really draw it out. But even other versions from this era that are a little more, I don't know. It's just, um, like you said, he does kind of hold back a little bit, I, I think, at times. And it's just, there are better versions. And Alyssa Black is probably my top five songs as well. 
Um, but it's uh, it, it was it's just fine. You know, it's good. It, it's solid. It's not it's not great. It's not horrible. It's kind of just middle of the road for me. But for everything that we just said and what kind of crowd that we're expecting this to be, um, it gets a massive reaction afterwards. The whole crowd is is up in arms. They they love it. Yeah, I, I thought it got a huge reaction. It does. It did, and it, it's still a song that should get a reaction. I mean, obviously, I, right, I, mean, I think but... any, any songs you're going to get a reaction, but um, I, I guess, like I said, it's just so different than all the other songs. I, I guess maybe that's part of why people start to like the song because it is different in that sense, sure, like from an energy standpoint. And you know, Eddie still lets it, you know, belts it out, and Mike's, you know, doing his soloing and. Um, you know, still worthy of a, of a strong reaction. I, yeah. I'm, I'm talking in the context of more, you know, comparing just Black to other performances of Black from this era. Right. Um, you'll hear better. That's all I'm saying. So, uh, absolutely, yeah. Like this song is going to get deeper into meaning, and and I don't think a lot of people really knew what this song was was about until Unplugged, until he wrote Pro, Pro Choice on his arm. So, you know, he's not really, he's trying to hold back a little bit because I, I think that those wounds are still fresh in his mind uh, when this song is very early in the stages. And I think he's not yes. ready to open up just yet. And so... Yeah, that's uh, a good point. That's another angle of it, I think, for, you know, the meaning to Eddie and, and yep. that actual emotional... Um, factor is, is something important to keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. So uh, now we get into the point of the set, which we teed and talked about for a little while here. Uh, Ed asks anybody if they speak English because he wants to tell a little story for you. Uh, the next three <laughs> songs we've never played together, but they go together. That was false. They played it the night before, as we had mentioned. Uh, it's all one story. I've never told people before, and I don't want to ruin the interpretations of the songs that you have, but it's about incest, murder, and all these good things, and the third song takes place in a jail cell, so it's your own little mini-opera. And, of course, as we mentioned before, it's going to start with a live, so that's how we're going to start. We're going to start with a live and then we might just go back to back to back here and tee them up and, and play them. So let's let's do that. We'll start with a live. We'll come back real quick and we'll give you everything else.
obviously the next up in the trilogy is Once, but before Once we kind of get another improv, a little jam a little bit, and dub it I'm Not Crazy if you want, because uh, he's sort of, it's a good transition in between Alive and Once, and we're going to kind of play how that transitions into Once, so uh, again, we'll kind of save everything for the end here, so listen to to how that transitions into the song, and it's the second in the Mama-san. What's dicks in me ain't right What's dicks in me ain't right Don't blame me Problem child Cause I ain't crazy I ain't crazy Footsteps. Uh, this is the finish of the trilogy, um, and Footsteps isn't really well known at the time. This is only the fifth time that they're ever playing the song, and it was on the Jeremy single, which is released uh, September 27th. So I would say that not a lot of people really know what this is yet. So pretty rare that they're doing this, and pretty rare to hear at the time. So we're gonna finish off the Mama song with a very, very early version of Footsteps. And if you recognize that something is not there, it's you're not going crazy. It's because something is not there. So this is Act Three.
of the Mamasan trilogy alive, and then we have a little intro going into Once and then Footsteps. So where do you want to start here? I guess we we got to start at the top, right? Uh, yeah, I think we we really went in depth on this before, just about the you know the meaning and the actual uh, storyline in the trilogy. Um, I, I think what's I, I I guess I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So first, I'll just say Alive, uh, awesome. Uh, any of these early versions of Alive, you're gonna you know, as I've said a million times, you're gonna get a ton of energy. And Alive is the perfect example of a song that brings the energy. Um, just that anthemic. Uh, you know, huge sound for for them in this early part of their career. Which, it's an arena rock song and a club show. Exactly, exactly. So anyone that was able to see any of these early performances of Alive or just the band in general, obviously you're lucky. But uh, Alive, again, is just that song where I think everybody really, it's just like an emotional high point, you know, yeah. for a show especially in the early going. I mean, there's a reason they play it toward the end of shows now, if, you know, not second, third, second to last um, at shows these days. There's a reason for it. It's because it is anthemic and people want to scream, you know, yeah, yeah, at the end. And that's, I love that. Love, love, love the the yeah, yeah, like the, you know, um, the every, like, couple second Eddie, Eddie screaming yeah at the end, uh, you know, while Mike is soloing and, um, I always think back to like that ping pop performance and he's kind of just like bouncing up and down, looking at the crowd and yeah. giving, giving everybody the yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. can just, you feel it. Like you just feel how powerful what's going on here is. And that song is just, it, it's like it says, it's a, it really makes you feel alive. Um, but what I was going to say is I just think I'm kind of like thinking about it now in the context of the Mama Son trilogy, not just as a standalone song, but this little improv, the I'm not crazy musically if you listen it actually sounds like, oh, like what are you a gonna siren say? it sounds oh, like a okay. siren so, you know what so, I, you know what i said it sounded like like what the beginning of i am the walrus yeah, a little bit a little bit but it's just like when 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 right it sounds like an ambulance or like a car a, a police car siren which is perfect in the context of the trilogy because once is now about the guy going on a killing spree. Sure, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he, like he's almost being like followed around by the cops or something. He's like in the middle of like a, like a police chase or something, running away mm-hmm. from the law. So it's actually, I, I don't know if it's Mike or Stone. I, I couldn't tell. I you. think uh, it's, I think it's it, probably Stone. I think it's probably Stone. Stone loves as well. the siren kind of stuff. Right. So he starts playing this while Eddie, go, you know, is kind of in the character of the Mama Son trilogy, the man. You know, saying I'm not crazy. You know, I'm no crazy. Whatever, like what you, you know, did to me, ain't right? He's still and, blaming exactly. The mother here. You know, probably it's. I, I'm actually looking on a uh, two feet thick here. There's they kind of give a little blurb about the show. It says, um, "Alive is played second song of the trilogy. Once has a lead in. What you did to me ain't right. Problem child, because I ain't crazy. Once upon a time, and then they tear into once. Um, I just think that that's so cool. That little like siren sounding improv with the I'm not crazy. It's like they're really playing like a mini opera. You know, it's like he's yeah. playing the character You're that right. he wrote, which is really cool. I mean, you, how often do you really a do you get the trilogy three in a row with this little improv thrown in to kind of uh, add a little color to it, a little flair to the trilogy and in the bigger picture, and then Ed, Ed actually giving you the improv of you know i'm not crazy like he's actually playing the guy it's just really really cool um once is just i mean they blaze through it it's just so angry and just so awesome um and then footsteps i know you said that you are not a huge fan of the early footsteps 
the sound yeah. at least. I I like I enjoy it. I actually think it's really cool. I know the harmonica's missing, and that's what you're trying to say here. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's obviously my favorite part about the song is just how impactful the harmonica is. But also, I mean, you have that the early '90s kind of like that delay twang, and it's really it's bluesy see, I borderline like country. It's like I don't know. I I just. It's it's not the footsteps that I have grown to really appreciate and absolutely adore. It's 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 taking the steps uh, to get to that. The footsteps. But, uh, yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I I I feel like I'm thinking a different thing than what I wrote because I thought it sounded really tight when when I wrote it, but then now I'm like. I guess outside of listening to it, I was kind of like, I don't know if I like the country vibe to it. I don't know if I liked it twangy. I, I feel like I like it better now. It's kind of like how Matt said with the immortality that we covered from from the Orpheum show that, you know, it, it grew to be much better than than it was then. But okay. I, I can still see its importance, you know. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Footsteps as a song in general. I enjoy current versions of the song but i have to say i really really enjoy these old versions and this particular performance of footsteps where he goes you know so this is act three right right before they start playing it this is another example of a song uh, a performance i should say from of of a song from this uh, concert that is on a lot of those bootleg compilation albums i definitely have had this song on multiple um of those compilation bootleg things that we were talking about earlier uh and i guess part of that is because it is part of the trilogy you know it's a a very it's a it's a unique performance and you weren't you weren't getting this yeah you weren't getting this a lot of no not common at all as we mentioned earlier um this is the 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 total times that the trilogy has been played has been five and it was the night before this in Milan. It was then this show. And this was really, everybody goes back to this show as being the one, because this is the one where he, he kind of interpreted it as, as a mini rock opera. Uh, and he didn't say anything like that. Milan, he just played three songs in a row. Uh, and then the next two nights, Vienna, Paris, uh, they do the same thing and they don't bring it back until another night in Seattle in 1993. So, and since then, surprisingly with all, you know, the man trilogy and all other things that they've done, uh, that are kind of like that, they've never brought this back, which I, you know, for shows like PJ 20 or anniversary shows, I'm really shocked that they've, they've never done these back to back to back again. Yeah. I, it's an interesting point. Um, did I'm sorry. Did you say when the last time they did it was 1993 in Seattle? Seriously. So they did it yeah. five times and they haven't done it in 26 years. So they've played the songs in the same set, but that that's not, not in that's the same nothing. Order. No, right, not right, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's weird. I, I, I maybe for I mean, just for a lack of a better answer, I don't. Maybe it just doesn't have the same like weight behind it like to them like it doesn't matter as much to them uh, anymore i think it is such a pivotal story in the band's 
legacy. Yeah, and that... they're, and they're and they're so big on doing things like that. Of you know, course, like yeah, playing songs for certain reasons. Going back to Crown the, of Thorns right. because of the Andy, man, the Man trilogy, like you of said, it, it, it is weird. It, it's unlike them for unlike them to not do this for twenty six years. But you know so, what? All in all, again, I I, I wrote how it, how it's very tight, and I said how it's, it's very awesome. tight. It's awesome. For a song that they've only played five times and they probably haven't really touched since uh, when they were doing the demo, it does sound incredible. It does. It really does. Um, whether, or not, whether or not I like the twangy, country, bluesy vibe, I can take it or leave it, but you know what? I, I can it. I can enjoy when they put together the whole band comes together and makes it sound good so uh all right ed says at the end of this the end and the crowd is very appreciative even if they have no idea what kind of history they've just been seeing uh you know this this was really the first time that people really understood what the mama son was all about and i'm sure that there were people on the inside that kind of knew that you know knew about the story that maybe they said it in an interview and they were, you know, not everybody has the access to everything nowadays, but, um, uh, like nowadays, uh, I should say, but, um, this was really the first time that people kind of had an understanding for how the band and, and maybe not even, you know, cause he doesn't say that this was the first thing that they had ever written, but, uh, at least that why these songs kind of go together. So, uh, and that takes us into deep and, uh, I don't have too much on this besides, uh, it is as demented and wild as I like it, but it needed one thing. It needed more Dave. This was the song that I, this that is I said, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a version, the Atlanta version. I'll always go back to that version where you just hear that double oh. bass. What, are you talking about 94? Fox yeah, gotcha. before oh, the, the Christmas clean love part where you hear that. Yeah. And I just I go back to that and it just sounds in comparison. I know I'm, I'm sure since then uh, before that Atlanta show, they had played around with it a lot more. And he had, you know, he had made it stand out a lot more. But here it sounds very, very basic. And I really want that edge to it with Dave. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That performance of Deep from the Atlanta. I mean, that Atlanta 94 show was arguably my favorite bootleg um, it, of yeah, all time. Yeah, it's up there. Um, it's really up there. But that particular performance of Deep is extremely good. I mean, anytime – I mean, I just love when Ed does the, you know, the script, the yeah, like in the beginning, like before right. leading into the actual, um, you know, the, the guitar. Um I mean, if that doesn't get you going, I mean, I, I don't know what 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 else to tell you. I mean, it's just it's just that good. I mean, it, just his screaming and yeah, the the drumming might have been a little bit um, you know, uncharacteristic of Dave A, I guess, in his performance, but it's still good. It's still a good right. performance. Um, you, you can't go wrong with that. I, I don't really have anything else to add other than, like I said, I'm just a, such a huge fan of what of these early Eddie screamy, um, yelling kind of songs and little tidbits that he throws into songs that otherwise don't even have screams you know like in the studio recordings um that is a great example you know deep on 10 doesn't have the screaming no in the beginning but then in, in all these live performances he's always throwing in that scream and that's i i love it love it just love it 
And then at the end here, uh, the whole song becomes kind of a complete shit show at the end. It's kind of like how – It's know, in a good way though. In a good way. They, they're doing it on yeah, purpose. You, in a good I, know, way. I know what you're talking about because I – you, know, you know the end of War Pigs, how War yes. Pigs ends? That like yeah. it's sort of like a fast forward or a rewind sound. It right. kind of has that vibe to it. Yes, they um, they're definitely doing it on purpose, and it's funny that I actually forgot about that until you just said it. Um, they are t- in uh, on purpose. They're going out of tune, essentially. Like they're playing the wrong notes that are at like in a different key than the rest of the song to to give it that feeling of like chaos. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, and then they end on the you know the the one clean chord uh at the end to you know to, to wrap up the song and it's kind um, of fitting because while this chaos is going on ed is yelling out to the crowd be gentle be gentle you fuck y- right right <laughs> and this that's where i'm Which saying is like, like the complete opposite of what the song is uh by its right. nature it's just total anger and just you know fury and chaos like we said so right uh that, that's pretty funny although ed can be so angry and and tap into this just his character he's, at yeah. some point, he's still concerned for everybody. He's constantly torn and going back and forth. You're absolutely right. Yep. So after after that, he says, our government, our parents, our teachers, our friends all put leashes on us. Drop the leash, drop the leash, get out of my fucking face. I think this is, this is the high point of the show for me, and we have to play it because it sounds really 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 fucking good so and another stream going into it too so there, yep. get ready for that yeah so three two one and we'll hit leash better than that i don't think so i i my first sentence was this could be the best version of leash i've ever heard it it, i don't know what other show i would think of that would be better the only one that's pink pop is good but pink pop is good but it's definitely not as good as this version um the other one that i was gonna think of or gonna say was do you know that um that more theater bootleg from 1992 yes. like january 17th i think yes, it is of 92 that doesn't that show have leash on uh, it uh i want to say it does yeah. i think it does which that i mean for all we know that could have been like the first time they ever played it. I'm like, you know what now i'm curious now I'm gonna, uh i'm gonna I look can, it up really quick Hold i on. can do i can do the stat check it's a, i'll talk over it while you stat check how about yeah, okay that? go ahead so, uh so it's just the band is spot on on the performance. It's full, energetic, passionate, angry, angst. It has, you know, everything that you want. This is why 
people say play leash you pussies because they want it to sound exactly like this. So um, that that more theater performance was the seventh performance of Leash. So they actually played it six early. times in 1991. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So it's like two years before the album came out. I, I you know I knew that this was really this was one of the earlier songs. Uh, off of Versus, probably one of the only ones that, you know, was written really before they went into the studio. Uh, But um, that is kind of cool that it it sort of fits in more with 10 than with Versus. Yeah, another, I just, I want to throw one more little tidbit in here. I'm looking at the, um, I'm on Live Footsteps, just looking at the actual numbers for Leash. It's actually, in the early days, a huge closer. They closed, they closed at one point, from February 7th through February 26th of 1992, they closed one, two, three, four, five. So basically almost six six shows in a row they closed with Leash. Wow. So it That's... was clearly one of their go-to, you know, big energy wrap-up kind of songs. And they're playing it here, um, what is it, 13th. So. Yeah, this is, this is really, this is, you know, how you get the crowd – it, it, they don't have a lot of songs left at this point. So how do you want the crowd to remember you? It's always how you finish. And, uh, you know, Leash going into, almost going into Porch is is going to be, for a lot of people, what they remember about the show. And, again, it's like most times where they play it nowadays, Ed's not as fiery on it. Jeff doesn't have that, that flea... F- you know, he doesn't go f- out the full out flea on his bass line. He just sounds very funky in this. Uh, Mike just sounds otherworldly. And it's it's the Angry Team Anthem. Yeah, I think it's actually Jeff screaming at the end, right, with Eddie? I think that's Jeff. Is it? Scre- yeah, yeah, I think that is. Okay, de- I didn't It's definitely up on not that. Stone. If you listen, that's Jeff screaming, I'm pretty sure, at the end. You know, the drop the leash, drop the leash. Yeah. Um, there's a couple times, like, they go through that little vocal line a couple times uh, before Eddie kicks back in and, and does it like a little higher. He's like, drop the lace, drop. It's, they're kind of like harmonizing in a way. I right. think that's Jeff actually, which is rare. Interesting. You know, he's not really a, you know, one of the big singers. Um, no, just I for guess. low light, really. Yeah. I yeah. can't think of much else. Exactly. So And even that, low that's... light, he's a little off on. Right, right. So that's a cool little, uh, cool little, um, element to this, uh, to this performance. And I, you know, uh, we go from leash and we get in between leash and porches. another improv jam, another improv jam. We won't play this one. We'll just talk about it. But, uh, what we will say is that it, it's the same one that we heard the first one that boom, 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 but it's a little faster and Dave kind of picks it up. Right. It's a little more funky. Think a little more sweet Lou baseline kind of. Yep. Yep. Uh, but uh, they're actually doing what you can call tags here. They're doing actual songs. Yes. Uh, uh, Shower the people you uh, with love who you love. Or it's James Taylor. Yeah, the James Taylor song. That's kind of the basis of what this song, this is the bread of this is how they start and it's how they finish. And then they do a pretender song called uh, Brass and Pocket, uh, which I don't know. So I didn't really... I didn't really grasp on to what he was doing and, and have any connection to it. Yeah, or, uh, I, I'm, same for me. I, I, okay. I don't really have anything to add on to it other than, like you said, i, I got to be honest, I don't really know it. Right. Um, I, I'm just going to, to refer to it again. I'm looking at this two feet thick uh, listing for this show. Um, it says that this song 
is a pretender song with the lyrics revised a bit. Quote, I'll yeah. get the fuck out of you. I don't right. give a fuck. Right. <laughs> so... That sounds uh, like 1992, Ed. Yeah, I feel like that probably was not in the original uh, Pretenders version of nice. the song, but Ed nice. uh, takes the liberty of making a couple uh, little changes. Um, and then there's one in the tag that's called Meaningless, and I, that I don't... I, that's him. That's it on an improv. Live footsteps, yeah, okay, because when you click on it in Live Footsteps, it says cover, but it doesn't say who it's covered by, so it's just kind of... Okay, that's, that's the improv part. So, uh, again, it, it's, it's just a cool little jam that, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's just sort of entertaining and you can kind of just see that the band is enjoying themselves and just seeing where it takes. And even Ed at the end says, uh, thanks for joining in and we're just making all this shit up as we go, go along. Yeah. That's like, ex- I think that's exactly what he says. Like he's like, we're just making it up as we go. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think, yeah, the meaningless little jam there, a little improv is cool. I, it's uh, kind of like a motivational thing. He's, you know, we're all meaningless. I can't believe that we're meaningless, you know, right. Kind of like a, make a change in the world. You know, you know, you're important kind of a thing. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of falls in line, I guess, with their, all of these other little jammy improv things that they sure. were doing back then, and a lot of the same lyrical, uh, you know, motivational kind of twists that he kind of leans toward uh, in a lot of these situations. But yeah, it, it's cool. It's got a cool vibe. I I, I enjoy it. Uh, and then after having said all that, just one more thing that I need to say for the whole band. <laughs> So I won't even say it. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just let it play. There you go. One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? Running to you again. Leave a message in these guys. Couldn't lend your voice one last time. Daily my feeling is good. Be my time by your woman. Would you hit me? Would you? Would you hit me? God, my friend, this is this is how you play a porch. Yes, thank uh, you. Yeah, you you were the one that really kicked it off. That really kind of inspired us to be like, you know, Riffy Porch sucks, and we we were like, you know what, it kind of does because a few weeks after we had you on, it, where you, where you said that we had the Atlanta Porch, which is the best porch of all time in in my eyes, and right. we're like, wait a minute. They can do it like this and make it sound like this. Why? Right. Why do they whisper now? Why so, do they have to, you know, make it this elaborate thing? And and Eddie's doing his solo shows uh, this whole week and for the next month or so. And most of the times he's ending his first set uh, with with porch and hearing porch is an acoustic. Uh, version where he just does it and you have that riffy version I'm no way I'm definitely not into that here's the thing I if the original version of Porch didn't exist and you know you never knew that this was the way that they could play it used to play it whatever you want to put it 
to then like listen to the way they do it now where it's just the riff and Eddie's playing it himself, you'd be like, okay, you know, this is cool. You know, it's it's like a, it's still it's it's interesting. It's good. Right. But then but when that you know that this version different exists universe, and that yeah. they could play it in this manner, in this this way with this sort of tempo, it's like it, it's not even the same song. It's basically it's not it doesn't even sound like you said in the same universe um with these two different versions like i would take this every single time like today like just just do it a couple yeah just do it a couple of times like this like i don't understand why ed needs to play it himself it's kind of like to me it's it's like you know how sometimes you get the interstellar overdrive uh intro in the corduroy sure but they not every single show exactly do it splice it in sometimes sometimes when you feel You know, when you're ending a set and it just feels right, do yep. it. But then sometimes when, you know, you have a couple of songs in the set, like, I don't know, like do the evolution and blood that, that come before it, just just go into the old-fashioned version. And I think it, it, it kind Couldn't of... Agree more. It would change the outlook of it and people would be a lot less bored of it because I feel like that is starting to become a piss break song. Because 100%. you know it's... <laughs> Mike's solo in it isn't as unpredictable as it is on Even Flow. It's a little bit more and that's, structured. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like they're still playing the song these days for like 10, 11 minutes. This version right. of Porch is 11 minutes long. Right, you know, and, exactly. And they always go into, um, you know, was it tearing, tearing, whatever it is. And, you know, he always, Ed loves to go into that um, into that tag. Yeah. Um, and here and, you get Voodoo Child and War Picks. Right. Right, so, so you don't get that nowadays, and and not the, often. Just, and again, Dave A's drumming comes back in here into play with you know when they get into this jam, like you know the parts of where Eddie would go be climbing the rafters and falling into the crowd, like you know the band is still playing, obviously, and that to me, I just everything about these old performances, it's just so much better than the way they do it now. I don't know how else to tell us to say it. It's it's just like, it, and again, this is just my opinion. I, I would take this way of playing porch every single time without question compared to today i mean i it know they like to have you fun the best today. things about the band right that's it just does right um, i think that in some some point in the song he's talking to the audience members and i wonder if he because at some point do you hear you heard the crowd go into like the sudden burst of cheers Right, like so he must have reaction. he must have gone into the crowd. I'm assuming. Yeah, stage dive or, or walked into Fell the crowd off or something. something. Yeah, yeah, something must have happened. But we there's no video evidence of anything, and uh, unfortunately, the Five Horizons Two Feet Thick doesn't have that recap. And uh, the PJ Twenty book, which doesn't have an entry for Pink Pop, by the way, which is, we didn't even say that before. That is just bizarre. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to even. I can just burn that book now. I can go Fahrenheit uh, 451 on that puppy. Um, totally weird. Yeah. Uh, but I just, uh, again, you know, it, does, it doesn't mention anything. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he does here, but this is as classic as you can get. It, it really is. Um, so nothing else to add other than, other than everything I, I just said in that, um, I mean, you want to talk about raw energy and just pure mayhem at, at uh, an early Pearl Jam show. I mean, Porch is going to be your best example of that with Eddie going yeah. into the crowd and, you know, the guys going nuts on stage and 
Dave doing his insane double bass fills and, you know, just off the charts. It's just them jamming and being as loud as humanly possible. And then you always get it, you know, you're going to get that, hey, you know, build up into the the final uh, chorus there before the song ends. It's just, you know, it doesn't, doesn't get any better than that. So it's, it's a perfect, not. perfect early performance of Porch. Uh, and that kind of brings us into the encore, which is a two song encore, technically three, but technically two, but maybe you can count it as three. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but the band leaves stage and the crowd is just begging for more and more. And you got like rugby or soccer kind of chance here. The, uh, it's not the white stripes, but it, it's close to that. It's like the early nineties version of what they do with seven nation army. So <laughs> that's a good point. Yes. That's actually a very good point. And I actually, and then, yeah, that, yeah, that's good. Dave, Dave is hitting the bass drum along with it. And everybody's chanting the, Hey, 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 it's this crowd is really, really, really good crowd. Really and, good. and it comes through very well in the bootleg too. You really get that sense. Absolutely. So that takes us into our final, uh, improv and jam of the night. Um, suggestion. Yeah, suggestion here. Um, this uh, they've done really good versions of this, and I think the one there are two that Pink stick pop. out in my head. Pink, Pink pop, pop sticks out because he just he he reaches out to the crowd, and the whole crowd he has the the, and, the yep. grasp of the crowd in his hands, and, and Dave like doing the, the bass drum along mm-hmm. with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It it feels like and he's in another stratosphere when he's doing that. It sounds uh, it sounds like the first time they're really tapping into becoming rock stars uh instead of just being a band um and then the other one is is den hog uh where they kind of uh do a version of another fugazi song called saying no and yes yes the the two sounding together because saying no has some really impactful lyrics uh it's kind of a guy and a girl going back and forth uh she says she says no but he he doesn't he doesn't listen or something along those lines uh it, it's just the connection between those two songs is really good but uh Ed is getting the crowd fired up um especially at the end he says uh this is the same song my dad used to sing when he used to beat me yeah, and then uh, doesn't doesn't he say that and then go hey 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 yep <laughs> it goes right into the <laughs> it's head. kind of funny actually yeah yeah so um yeah but this is a sh- kind of a shorter version of suggestion than we we'll hear in the future because we haven't really touched upon uh uh doing a version of suggestion yet which just to throw this out there really quick because i'm looking at it on um live footsteps um so obviously in 92 or 91 and 92 this was a heavy heavy uh you know tag tease intro whatever you want to call it uh ed used it all the time um the last one he used in 92 was august 25th at the blockbuster pavilion in charlotte north carolina then they didn't do it again for three years until 1995 um in auckland new zealand as a tag and then interestingly enough and this is actually really cool as we're talking about pink pop uh you know a minute ago in that um version with dave kind of you know chugging along on the bass the double bass whatever uh they didn't do it again until pink pop of last year of 2018 so 23 years in between uh the last time they had done suggestion and the place that they did it again after all that time was where the most famous one is from which is pink pop so that's really good which again it's just like we were saying before it's like they're aware of these things 
you know, which is weird that they haven't done the Mamasan trilogy, you know, since 1990, whatever, two or three, whatever it was he yeah. said in Seattle. You know, it, like, they, they get it. Like, you know, him wearing the Tivoli shirt again at Pink Pop. It's like they, they are aware of these things. Um, and the other so thing, cool. the other song they did at Pink Pop was uh, Pulled Up, the Talking pulled Heads up. song. Exactly. That was, honestly, I think And they're, like, segued probably... in, into each other. Yeah, It's suggestion right, right into Pulled Up. Uh, right, yeah. that so whole it's just part so cool. was fantastic. But they did, I think, one of the shows early last year, one of those uh, South American shows, they did Pulled Up. So that yeah, that was a it. throwback. To, to kind of what they did at Pink Pop, but it was it, it might have been like a Lollapalooza or something like that. Right, you just gotta love they when did. they're aware of that kind of stuff. I just love that. Of course, of course, they you know we we do this because we're such history buffs with the ba- with the band, and we kind of totally uh, not crazy at all. No, not crazy at all. <laughs> I'm not, not crazy. crazy. I'm not crazy. Uh, <laughs> once upon a time, uh, but like we they know that we love it and. They, I think they kind of take that energy and they're like, wow, they've been, they've been so tapped into this and tapped into us that, you know, we, we give them a little something back, you know, for, for respecting the history. They know how much, how much, uh, everybody appreciates it for sure. Of course. So two songs left here, uh, Garden here. Love it. Um, love it, love it, love it, love it. Very interesting. Uh, we're gonna next week's show, I believe the way that it ends is parting ways into Leadbetter, and this is kind of in that same fashion where uh, you're, you're almost expecting them to just end crazy, to end hard, but that like, that hey, 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 hey and then you get that intro in the garden and the crowd kind of dies down a little bit and they're sort of, it's it feels like there's sort of a sway going on in the crowd a little bit where it's yep. just kind of, you know, it's relaxed up until the end. Walk, and then it gets really tense and really, really hard. And, That's um, what I was talking about before with Ed doing his screams. You know, like yeah. I said, later in the, in the set, there was going to be a couple songs, particularly the ones I'm talking about were Deep, Leash, and Garden. The mm-hmm. end of Garden, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like if you listen to that like live, um, I feel like it doesn't really come through as much on the studio recording of Ten. It does to a certain degree, but not nearly as much. Uh, it's just so delayed. Every, yeah, everything strain, sounds so delayed on it. Just the strain and the rasp with which he sings um, those ending parts to Garden it really shines through here, and he nails it. He nails it. There are certain performances of Garden, I mean, especially now, where he doesn't let it rip because it's too hard for him to sing. So I, I get it. Uh, not the case here. He lets it rip. Any version like this from years ago where he, where Eddie's able to do that, I am a huge fan of. I love when he is on with his voice and can hit those high-pitched screams and uh, notes that he, over time, has either lost the ability to hit altogether which is just you know part of aging uh, you know you can't knock him for it or he just right. can't hit it every time and he very rarely will try to do it he's That's also what, you, you gotta got you gotta you gotta know he he's not he he doesn't have very good hearing so he can't hear himself very well so that's probably that's probably another reason for it is that like because he can't really hear himself. He can't really hear the rest of the band. It's all kind of muffled together. And I know there's speakers in front of him. I know he's probably got some uh, earbuds in his ear or whatever. But, you know, he can't 
quite tap into that because he can't really hear himself sing as sure. as well as he used to. Um, just real quick, uh, there was a lyric change uh, instead of. Oh yes, yes. I don't yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I just question our uh, our president George Bush, which um, again sign of the times. If if you need proof that the band was always politically inclined and has exactly. never changed, thank you. There you go. Yes. There you go. Thank you. So, uh, man, then we we close the show out with this uh, pretty early version of this. I mean, they 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 had been doing this a lot in '91 and and into '92, but um, this is just awesome. They close the show with "Rocking in the Free World" and the way that they intro it, heavy heavy drums uh, and. Best. Ed is singing before they get into the actual you'll hear Ed is actually singing the the verse. So we're going to start off right in the beginning of all that and take you into that wild, wild beginning into the song. So let's let's listen in. differences between the way that this song sounds today and and the way that this song sounds now it, um, i feel everything. like yeah it's just <laughs> it's it might just be as simple as just the difference between an arena rock song and a club song or is it just that you know they can't tap into songs the way they used to tap into songs back then um i think it's a little bit of both i think i well let me just start off by saying and i know we're both on the same page with this one we both love this old style absolute world i this is absolutely and again i we keep going back to pink pop but it's just you know it's a prime example They're, they're played in the same manner this was the way that they played free world for years um when they first started playing and i guess it starts to transition over maybe like 90 four five i think maybe it was after dave a was was gone um you know when i guess when jack irons got there they started it's it's such a yeah it's such a drum heavy song right right um but these early versions of the song uh where it's just the dun 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 with the chugging drums and right you know and i always just think back to that ping and all of a sudden those cymbals come in and it just like it it drives it really it empowers and it's fucking it it makes you go you know yeah you can hear and i'm assuming it's it's i think it's stone you know he kind of just plays like the individual strings of the notes of the chords so it's right uh, it's just an e um 
it's a it's an e e e e e e e d c so it's like he's playing like each string in the e chord the d chord and then the c chord individually so it's it's got like this like effect on i don't know if it's like a chorus or like a a flanger some sort of uh pedal that he's using um it gives it this kind of like warbly like uh spacey kind of like shakiness feel to the notes as he's playing them and it, it just I don't know. It's just so cool. It's just so different than the way they do it now. I love it. It, it just builds up the anticipation. You can really hear Dave A like slowly but surely like he's hitting harder and harder as they get closer to the whole band kicking in. And it's just it's just the perfect example of a song where they're able to build energy. And then when it hits that point, it, you know, you flip the switch and they just explode. Yeah. Um, it just kicks in so loud um eddie do you know doing the screaming and and just the whole band kind of um chimes in in the background doing the background vocals with the in the choruses and everything and mike shreds his ass off with the different solos and he gets and they're not throwing tambourines out into the crowd either this is straight forward intense aggression um you know balls to the wall like just going crazy uh performance last you know song of the night um, you know, Ed's thanking everybody as they're all done, you know, thanking everybody for, for being there or whatever. And it's just such a good closer. And I get that they still play it now. And it's got, the, you know, he wants to go around and get the tambourines out and everybody always comes on stage with them at this point. And it's kind of like, almost like happier. It has like a happier vibe um to it now the way they play it um this is pissed off this, this is, is angry you know yeah. this is like they're like when they're like peak like bush political you know like we just talked about in garden um right. you know he's not messing around i mean he's really you know he's saying what he wants to say and um you know i think this song has like a like a social you know com uh, connotation to it uh, by its hit. nature from, from neil yeah. young but uh which is part of the reason why they play it but it's they're not pulling any punches here i mean they're just they're just throwing punches i guess in the crowd <laughs> you know with the, with the instruments obviously but um the difference, it, it, again just these early versions are just my favorite i love the way they play it the difference it can all boil down to the nowadays they'll they'll sing and they'll be like hey everybody keep on rocking in the free world have a good night and back then it's keep on rocking in the free world you fuckers yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, right it's just yeah. like and and really they're the lyrics are you hit the nail on the head it's social commentary it's what you know the song is what this country one more uh, kid that'll never go to school never get to fall in love never get a chance to be cool people sleeping in their shoes it's it's what people don't recognize this country when when everybody says uh how great this country is they don't see the faults they don't see the people that can't afford uh to live the luxuries that america has um you know not just promoted but everybody has called this the land of the free that you can have that life but it's not available for everybody yeah so, and it's, it's just great just to throw one more thing in there it's great that yeah. you bring that up because he actually does eddie go into a little bit of like his little improv lyrics in the middle, um, you know, right before that, we all a thousand points of light. Like right before <laughs> that, he's saying, you know, the United States, the U.S. of A. Yeah, ain't, ain't a free place. You know, ain't got the right to choose, the right to vote, but you know, the U.S. of A. ain't a free, free place. And then he goes, mm-hmm. a thousand points of light. So, um, just a further testament again to. It always cracks me up when people, you know, like when the whole poster thing with um. 
you know, Masula oh, last yeah. year. It just cracks me up. You know, people say that, oh, they, oh, they, I they, well, I keep your politics out of it, blah, blah. Dude, they've been political since the start. Like, if you yep. if you are claiming to be a fan and you're gonna get mad, like, listen, it, has, it doesn't even it doesn't matter what your political belief is. It doesn't. It, it's, it literally could not matter less. The point is, they've always been political. So for right. you to so sit either there and you're be with mad that or you're for showing yeah. what they're but what they believe in, you're 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 kidding yourself. You're like you haven't been. You just want to silence the entire people. time, exactly. Yeah. So and again, it has nothing to do if you're left, right, center, what I don't care. It's just like to sit there and say, oh, they, they, you know, I don't care about your politics, whatever. Like, listen, you know what you're getting when you're a fan of them. You really I, do. So I told people who were mad at that poster that I just said, you know what? If you're mad about it, don't say like that somebody bombed the White House. Say like the kitchen went on fire or something like that. Like, it's, you know, don't don't make it as like this. It's this attack on America. You can paint a different picture of it. Oh, well, you know, unfortunately, the. You know, the kitchen went on fire and John Tester's in the air on a um, – happens to be in the air on a, on a mower or, so, or whatever, or a moped, whatever he was on. And, right. You know, ATV. So I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, Free World uh, from a – like a, you know, lyrical and, you know, uh, activist standpoint, I guess, for the band is uh, just a, another example of, of who they are and, and what you get when you're a fan. And uh, musically, obviously, a great closer like we talked about. So it's, it's Absolutely. awesome. So there, there we have it. That that was the show. Volk's house. We, we got this in two hours. Can you believe that shit? Uh, <laughs> now let's rate it. What did what uh, overall? What you think? Um, uh, I, I I I don't know. Maybe like a seven and a half. Seven and a half. That's fair. Eight. Yeah, I you know, I was it, kind of in between seven and a half and eight because I don't think this is like the end all be all show of nineteen ninety two. Of this era, right? I think it is important. So I will. You know, I'll usually give the nod to a show if it has something completely different. And, man, this might, Leash again, stands out. Leash stands out really, really well. Uh, Rockin' in a Free World stands out. Three and, improvs and Mama-san. Mama yeah, Mama-san, three improvs, um, Leash being awesome, and the old Free World style. Also, Garden being second to last, I think. Yeah. Uh, gets in a little boost in there sure um it was a little slow out of the gate like we talked about um yeah i, I think seven and a half to eight somewhere in that I, range is, is i'm gonna solid. go i'm just gonna go eight i'm just gonna kind of give it that benefit of the doubt uh, sure you know again like pink pop is the end all be all for 1992 but uh this is this is important too so glad uh glad we got to do it and glad we got to cover it um next week uh, we announced it last week, the winner of the contest. Uh, this was an episode that was, uh, nominated by Jeff Collar and it won St. Louis 2000. And, uh, let's just say that we're doing it because, uh, you know, in celebration of St. Louis, because, uh, they are the new Stanley cup champions, but we'll do St. Louis 2000 next week. That's uh, that'll be a fun little show. Bring us back to the binaural era. And uh, that's all we got. Buckley. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me back again. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do another one. We, we have we, – well, we have a plan. We are obviously planning for you to come back on. Uh, uh, I mean, since day one, since before we even did the podcast, you've been begging to do this show. Yes. Uh, so one of the, the MSG shows. the My the, first one. Your first one, I think this is probably my favorite show that I've ever been to, the second night. May 21st, uh, 2010. 
2010. Uh, but maybe we'll have you on for if if whenever we do Indio as well. Yes, because yes, I know yes. you're a very big fan of that. I show, am. So. I am. All right. Awesome. So, All right. Thanks, uh, Randy and Matt. Uh, I know you'll uh, you'll hear this at some point. Uh, let's go Mets. That's right. All right. And uh, that's all we got to say. So uh, this is the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. For Buckley, for Matt, who says hi, I'm sure. Uh, and for uh, uh, Zurich, Switzerland, everybody tuning in. Yes, Vilkshaus and Winterthor. <laughs> um, we uh, we say goodnight and see you next week for St. Louis 2000. Would you like to say the bye that Matt usually says? Which is what? He just goes, bye. Oh. Would you like to say that? Sure. Bye. <laughs>